Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host Dr. Haley Roberts. Heyo, hello, Haley. Uh, welcome back. We um, took a time uh, off in between recordings, um, in between my uh, brand new puppy and some job things and all all sorts of stuff that's going on with me and my family. We took a very short break, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm glad to be talking with you again about a very uh, interesting series. Yeah. Super interesting. I loved it. So we're going to be talking about The Undoing, um, the HBO uh, mini series. Um, but before we get into the series today, you know, um, and it's funny that I, I mentioned this to you um, and you you either didn't realize this or didn't kind of have the same reaction to it. So The Undoing takes place in uh, New York City, very mm-hmm. wealthy parts of New York City. And the sort of one of the tropes that we'll get into is that Nicole Kidman's character, Grace, is just walking around town mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and one of the memes from the show is like uh, playing the Vanessa Carlton song, like, and she's just strolling through the city. Yeah. At all hours of the day and night. And, you know, when I first saw the series, I was like, what is this person doing? Uh-huh. This, is, this is odd. This is weird. But then I had to check myself because I actually, uh, I went to undergrad in, at Seton Hall University. Uh-huh. It was in South Orange, New Jersey, about a 15-minute train ride from New York City. Uh, it was much cheaper back then when I attended, C- <laughs> attended university. <laughs> but um, I did this too. I wasn't uh-huh. always by myself, but certainly sometimes I was. Uh-huh. I would just take the train into the city and and walk around because New York City is wild. I it's love just that. A, it's a fascinating place to be yeah. in and around. And you know, I asked you if you had any sort of references or experiences, and you said you what had only been there once. Yeah, I think I've been to New York once as a child. Sure, <laughs> and obviously I haven't been back there since. Uh, I haven't been there in at least a year. Um, mm-hmm. because you know travel. Yeah. Um, but it, it really brought me back because you know one of the things that I did as a a nerdy college student was I would take the train in and I would walk around and find just like random comic book stores. Oh, cool. Um, or like or music stores. Just like I wanted to find the kind of weird different things that you would see in movies. Um, or yeah. like, you know, the, the restaurant from Seinfeld, things mm-hmm. like that. Like, I just wanted to see all these things that I sort of had references to growing up, but, you know, now could actually see as a, as an adult, essentially. Yeah. I love, uh, an aimless wander. Um, yes. 
And I feel like New York is the perfect place for that. I studied abroad in Spain when I was in undergrad and um, I lived in Madrid. And the one of the women when we did like our orientation was like, if you are not lost, then it's fun to be lost. Um, and so basically what Ooh, she was saying that. is like, if you know where you're going and how to get places, then getting lost is fun. And I totally agree with that. I am all for an aimless wander, especially looking for little coffee shops that you didn't know existed or aren't really on a map or like you said, comic book stores. Um, I tend to be more of like, a, yeah, I guess record stores don't really exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not so much. <laughs> I tend to be more of like a, either people watch or like look for stuff like browsing, just kind of, Aimless sure. wandering with no point like she does, that's not so much my style. Hmm. Just like, yeah, the no, I'm, I'm with you. I was walking. always within <laughs> with some kind of purpose, right? Yeah. Um, like New York City and at the holiday time, you know, you walk yeah. and you look at all the store windows and things mm-hmm. like that. And of course, Central Park and museums, which is another thing that's uh, featured yeah. heavily in The Undoing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just brought me back and, and you know, I love what you said about getting lost sort of on purpose, especially mm-hmm. in a, a moderately familiar space, because, you know, one of the the biggest struggles I've seen in, in talking with patients over the past year is, you know, this sort of stir crazy yeah. feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the opportunity to, especially as the weather gets nicer now, to explore your town or explore local places that you can be comfortable with, you know, to a certain degree, obviously we're still taking precautions, but, um, but giving yourself permission to get a little lost, to get a little, um, you know, feel that the new spaces around you, I think has a lot of value. Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously walking is a great way to do that, but you can also do it driving like, you know, here in Colorado, just drive into the mountains and explore a new little town that, when you walk into their local tavern, they're like, who's this person? <laughs> you know, just kind of, yeah, I love, like I said, aimless wandering. I love it in all forms. All right, then aimless wandering is your coping skill for the day. So <laughs> Haley, with that, let's get into uh, the undoing. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. The Undoing is a 2020 American mystery psychological thriller television miniseries based on the 2014 novel You Should Have Known by Gene Hoff Korolitz. It was written and produced by David A. E. Kelly and directed by Suzanne Beyer. The miniseries stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant and premiered on HBO on October 25th, 2020. So, Haley, you hadn't watched this before I suggested it to you a couple weeks ago, is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay, so I watched this. Uh, I was it was recommended to me by many people. Um, and before we get into our discussion today, I do want to give a trigger warning because we are going to get into yeah. some um, traumatic uh, events that take place over the course of this series, um, uh, and that there's a range of traumatic events. So if if there's any um, 
trauma concerns that you have, I would say pause the episode now. Um, but that being said, a lot of people recommended this show to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, did they recommend I'm not a big... because you're a therapist? Yes. So I think, okay. yes, that's why, because I'm not a big like mystery, um, whodunit, true crime type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily seek out that type of uh, shows or movies. Um, but yes, it was definitely recommended to me because it's like you have to watch this this portrayal of a therapist. Uh-huh. And I'm so glad it was it was recommended to me because um, I am fascinated by the therapist in the undoing. Uh, Grace, played by Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I don't know if we're going to agree or disagree, but I'm very excited to talk to you about her. Yeah, I um, I think it's interesting, and it makes me kind of think that maybe we'll we might fall in different places. But um, I the I don't know what it is, but the way that I live in my world, people forget that I'm a therapist unless I'm their therapist. <laughs> um, oh, like that must I've, be nice. <laughs> I've known people for like six years and they'll be like, what is it that you do again? And I'm like, really? (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah. So um, when you... Well, you must mean you have really good boundaries, which is good. Or, yeah, I I put things, you know, like, okay, work is over. Now we're doing something else. Yeah. Um, So I just thought that was interesting when you said um, that it was suggested to you because you were a therapist. I was like, I wonder if people ever think of me when they see a therapist on TV. Mm. And somehow I don't think so. And what's also funny is because of that, um, because of the way that I kind of separate things, I got pretty annoyed with um, Grace sometimes okay. during this um, during this show. Yeah, because I was annoyed by her I don't want to say immediately because obviously we don't see her as a therapist immediately. We see her and her husband, Jonathan, played by Hugh Grant. We see uh, their son, Henry. And it just seems like a very nice, um, obviously well-off family in Mm -hmm. New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. As as far as we know at the outset, Jonathan is a, a child oncologist. And it just seems like, yeah, it's a really, uh, a lovely family. You know, who could imagine anything going too wrong good here? to be true. Exactly right. <laughs> um, and then we do get some glimpses. Um, we do see Grace uh, conducting uh, uh, some therapy with. Mm-hmm. I guess she's a marriage and family therapist. Is that fair to say? I don't know if she specifically says that, but it seems pretty clear that she works with couples or um, um, so relationship a, issues. They say she's a PhD in clinical psych. Okay, she's a psychologist. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So apparently, sees all people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and we we see. I think we see two sessions in particular. Um. At least the two ones that jump out to me, mm-hmm. um, and her style of of therapy is is very interesting. I, could maybe mm-hmm. could you describe your sort of impression of her style as a therapist? Because obviously every yeah. uh, therapist and psychologist has a different style. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so she's very direct um, with her yes. um, patients which I 
like, <laughs> um, but I don't like the way that she does it um, because okay. the way that she like poses the thoughts or the poses the, like, for example, there's the, um, the first woman who's like, you know, my husband's bipolar. What do you think? And, um, yes. and then she finally says to Nicole Kidman, like, I pay you to tell me what I want to like to tell me not what I want to hear, but like to do therapy with me basically. So well, then, to sort of solve my problems. It almost felt like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And then Nicole Kidman jumps in or grace jumps in and says, um, well, you are very discerning in every single area of your life, except for when you pick men. Um, and I mm. loved that observation. Um, and I loved the way she posed it. But when you pair that with the other um, couple that she had, the way that she yes. posed like, oh, are you sure you're not doing this to show to him that he doesn't control you? It felt too like this is the truth. This is fact rather than kind of posing it as a curiosity. Like, what do you think? You're the expert in you. I'm noticing these patterns. How do you think they fit in your world? Um, mm -hmm. And with the first one, if it was stood alone and then all the other people, she was more kind of like questioning, I would think, okay, this is the relationship she has, right? This woman has asked her to be direct. And so she was direct and she did it in a cool way. But then when I saw it paired with the other couple, I was like, ooh, she's very like, she says it as though it's the truth rather than curiosity. And I find that a, a bummer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess the thing that sort of rubbed me the wrong way about Grace as a therapist was, and, and you see this kind of trope sometimes, which is almost like therapist as mind reader or therapist as mm -hmm. um, sort of like soothsayer, like, let me tell you how I've analyzed you. And, and obviously, you know, we're, we're seeing this very, brief glimpse of a session but we're mm -hmm. seeing like the most dramatic analysis that uh -huh. could be you know uh, uh composed and reflected back to the patient it sort of reminded me of of dr house right where it's like uh -huh. i i have you figured out let me tell you exactly what you do or what the problem is mm -hmm. um and i like what you said because I, I do think and, and look obviously therapists have lots of different styles but i i am partial to the more sort of curious you know, here's an observation. What do you think? What What mm -hmm. are your um, impressions? You are the expert on you and on your relationship. I can reflect back things that I'm seeing or hearing. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, I want you to tell me what your experience is. Yeah, the way that I will often word something is, I've noticed you do X, Y, and Z. And I find it interesting that you're not doing that in this scenario. What do you think sure. that's about? Or how does that fit for you? Or am I missing something? Um, you know, kind of posing the the observation, but then being like, and now you tell me what that observation's about. Whereas yeah, like you I, th said, I think that feels Grace throws it out. Yeah, that just feels much more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I think because and look, and, and I think this is the sort of other trope is that it's it's maybe it's like a New York city therapist portrayal <laughs> assumption, right? Where uh -huh. it's like, um, a little bit more well-off people who are coming in looking for very specific, 
types of feedback or relationships with their therapists. Um, mm -hmm. And well, I think it's go, just interesting to think about. Yeah, that yeah. could go multiple ways, right? Because New Yorkers of pride course. themselves on the like, I'm direct and nothing can hurt my feelings. But then also, you know, sometimes when you're paying somebody to listen to you, you don't want them to say anything. You just yes. want them to listen. <laughs> That's right. So that's right. So there's there's no one uh, yeah. thing necessarily that you're looking for just because you can afford however many hundreds of dollars an hour Grace is yeah. charging. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just and I think and and obviously look, we're gonna do a massive spoiler alert here. But the something about the therapy sessions, I was already kind of suspicious of her. I don't know why, but it was something like she was just kind of coming off as. Um, I hate to say it, a, a know-it-all, but like something, something felt like she, and maybe it was just a confidence thing, like because she had maybe very good analytical skills and was uh -huh. able to offer these sort of very, the a very high depth of reflection. Um, That's yeah, so I don't funny. know. That was she did was not annoy me at all. She didn't annoy okay. me at all. So that's so interesting. What I was intrigued by because obviously it kind of starts pretty heavily of her doing therapy and then we never hear of her doing therapy again um at, at all right yeah um except they'll reference like you're the therapist right you're the psychologist right yeah um but what i found very interesting was both of the sessions or there were three sessions but both of the the individual woman and then the couple um were people talking about their partners in a very controlling way. Um, the first woman was like trying to diagnose her boyfriend or husband and saying yes, how like, wrong he right. is. And then Nicole Kidman kind of says like, yeah, but like, what role do you play in this? And then in the second one, she identifies like where there's kind of a questionable pattern coming up in the couple. And then they come in again and you see the, the couple that she calls controlling, like gripping the other partner's arm yeah. as that partner apologizes and is like, no, that's not how it is at all. And I sat there being like, oh my goodness, that is such a control tactic is like of course. literally physically holding someone. So both of those yep. sessions set up someone not being able to see inside their own story right? Not being able to see the role that they play in their own story. And also this thing of kind of being manipulated by a partner, which right. so now looking back, that I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing that I was concerned about is that like, okay, obviously we're being shown these very specific things from mm -hmm. these specific sessions for a reason. And that obviously turned out to be true. Like you said, uh, Grace wow. is a person that was not seeing the things that were happening in her own family and her own marriage. Yeah. Um, and, Which and makes the title spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which makes the title of the book actually interesting. I didn't know it was a book, but you, yes. it was called "You Should mm -hmm. Have Known," and yes. the and the like asterisk there is um, because you're a psychologist, which I sure. think is a narrative that kind of pops into our world. And I think that can kind of lead us into what it's like being a therapist in the world, um, you know, outside the therapy room, 
because this idea of, um, oh, you're a psychologist. Are you psychoanalyzing me? Um, will come up Mm -hmm. when people ask me what I do for a living. And my response is usually, oh, you're an accountant. Are you doing my taxes for me? (laughs) Right. Um, Because, um, and I don't know how it is for you, but for me, like outside of work, I kind of turn that therapy brain off and I don't psychoanalyze people. I mean, I'm not a psychoanalyst anyway. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. But, um this idea that because you are a psychologist or a therapist or um, a mental health expert of any kind, that means that your mental health is fine or your relationships are perfect or something like that, which is simply not true because um, the way I kind of describe things to my patients is like when um when you're in the play, it's pretty hard to see what's going on on the stage. Yeah. Um, and that's so true. Like when you're in your own story, it's pretty hard to like see the narrative around, which is why many mental health um, therapists, psychologists, et cetera, et cetera, go to their own therapists is because we too Absolutely. need someone to say like, hey, here's the patterns I see forming in your world. Yes. Yeah, it's so funny. It reminds me of a question someone asked on on Quora that I saw recently, which was mm-hmm. basically like, are are therapists sort of immune to mental health issues because you can <laughs> give therapy to yourself? And and look, I, I don't think it's not necessarily like a common question or or perception that we're capable of doing that, but we are not. <laughs> no. In case there's any question as to whether or not we're able to give therapy to ourselves. Now, obviously you know, we might have a little bit more insight into things like yeah. self-care skills and and certain types of approaches of dealing with uh, stress or, or mm-hmm. um, you know, different things that might be happening in our lives. We by no means have the ability to have sort of like this sort of perfect sight into ourselves at the same yeah. time as, you know, dealing with um, lots of other things. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know about... Um you, but I often find because of the approach that I take to, um, psychology, which is a lot of, um, action-based change, um, the Mm -hmm. me stuff, I'm like pretty good at kind of making value choices day to day, even if I'm not feeling great. It's when, um, it's the uncontrolled things, right? The relationships with others, the um, things going wrong, the question of like, I'm kind of doing everything I love and still I'm just kind of feeling meh or sick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those I think are sometimes the hard parts is the, right, the the rest of the stuff going on on the stage. Yeah. Yeah, and and... You know, and with with Grace, we almost immediately see uh, very specifically the things that she is not seeing in herself or her mm-hmm. family, her her marriage specifically. Um, and I think, and I guess maybe I, I do kind of fall into this trap of like, you should have known, right? Because <laughs> the thing we see within the first two episodes um, is we kind of find out that uh, her husband, Jonathan, who as far as we knew, was a 
a clinical oncologist, a, a, a pediatric oncologist, have, apparently has been unemployed for a couple months. Yeah. And I think the, at that point, I was like, okay, I don't know. That that seemed like, and there were a couple of moments like this in this show where that felt too hard to believe for me. Why? Um, so I'm thinking if someone gets dressed, takes your kid to yeah. school, and then is yep. gone the whole day, comes home and talks about work, and finances are not something that you and your partner need to pay that attention to. That are being to. obviously affected, yeah. Yeah, like, and there's also an influx of money we find out later because he actually got it sure. from her dad, right? From her father, yep. Mm-hmm. There's, there's kind of no reason for her to question it. Yeah, you know, and I guess and look, was, and maybe if your wife was like, I'm going lawyering today, you'd be like, All right, cool. <laughs> you know, and then if she went shopping, you'd have no idea, or you know, hanging out with friends or whatever, you'd have no idea. Yeah. Right? You would hope she'd tell you. And I think I guess. she would. <laughs> no, of course. And I and I guess that's it, right? Because it's like, and we're gonna get into um, you know, uh Jonathan, her husband, you know, what is his deal and mm-hmm. why is he able to do this how is he Mm -hmm. able to do this but i guess that's the sort of point of for me of like it just seems too complicated and and look you make a good point um (laughs) is it really more complicated than i'm going to work i'll see you later okay i'm back from work how was your day great and then there's not necessarily any more discussion um yeah it's hard to argue it's just this sort of that was my gut reaction to hearing that was i don't understand how that's possible but and we all like to think, I think you're I mean, right <laughs> i think i think i would hope we all like to think that we would be the ones that would like pick up on like mm, something we would notice it, right right yeah um yeah. i think she would have noticed sooner i think you're ultimately right um because six months is a very long time um but um but if you don't have any, if nothing changes in your, like in her world, there's nothing for her to question. Right. Right. And and the only reason she starts questioning anything is because of this uh, murder that's happened. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, Jonathan probably would have, you know, quote unquote, come back from uh, Cleveland where he was supposed to be. Yeah. And no one would have been the wiser, but, um, yeah. but nonetheless, the, the sort of series kind of, uh, gets into high gear, right? So, mm-hmm. um, Elena, um, the woman that uh, Jonathan was seeing, um, mm-hmm. outside of their relationship, um, was killed. And mm-hmm. obviously we go on to find out that Jonathan was also the killer, which we'll, yes. we'll get into probably at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think maybe it's sort of those combination of things is that, you know, we find out this woman, Elena has been murdered and this mm-hmm. is all in the first episode. And, and maybe because of my reaction of like, what do you mean? You don't know where your husband is. Uh-huh. And this woman has been murdered and the sort of therapy sessions felt to me kind of off, like something was off. And I was just immediately suspicious of of Grace. And I think I was suspicious of Grace until 
like the fifth episode, <laughs> even when it was, you know, they were making it pretty clear kind of where things were headed. But I, yeah, I don't know. Suspicious that- of her frequently. And I think that also says something, which is we are looking at it from the outside and still, yes, we don't immediately go, oh, it's absolutely him. Right. Right. So yes. from the inside, it's got to be so much harder. But I agree. They make her so um, suspicious. And this is the thing that actually really annoyed me. And it's also the thing that made her suspicious is okay. she was so controlled all the time, except for mm-hmm. one moment where she like explodes an emotion in the house with her son um which to me was like the most real like look even psychologists sometimes throw clothes around a room um but other than that she's just like on all the time like Mm. on as a psychologist all the time when she's with the police when she's in the bathroom talking to elena before she's killed when she's um like talking to her kid like there's always this like air of being like very professionally um like put together and calm and knowledgeable and observant. And let me just tell you, you know this, but our listeners don't like being a therapist is hard work because there's no point in each hour of the day, like each hour session where you can zone out, right? Like if you work Mm -hmm. a desk job or you have a day where you're not a therapist Like there are moments where you can like daydream or check your emails or just like get up and walk to the kitchen for fun, right? We can't do that. We have to be on for, you know, let's say 50-ish minutes and then we have a 10-minute break and then we're on for 50-ish minutes again and then a 10-minute break. Um, And that's exhausting. It gets really tiring to like pay that much attention and put your like whole self into it the whole time. So to see her do it all the time, like even in yep. real life, um, I was like, mm, what's going on? She is too thoughtful. Yeah. And I guess that's where the walks through town kind of uh, fit yes. in, right? Uh-huh. Where, um, you know, where is this woman going? Sometimes middle of the night. Um, you know, and, and yeah, and obviously that was sort of her release, I guess. If we saw anything that was like that, it was that was the closest thing to it where yeah. um, I just need to walk. I just need to walk through New York City. Sometimes it's the middle of the night. Sometimes it's the like first thing in the morning before sunrise. And yeah, yeah I'm just going to walk. But um, then with the context, and, and look, that becomes questionable, too, because now we're like, why is she walking exactly. near her place? <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Where is she going? Um, yeah. So really fascinating character study. And I think in general, um, you know, it, it made me reflect on therapists in film and, and media that I have really liked because uh-huh. I think, and this is like a David E. Kelly thing for other professions, whether it's Boston Legal or um, uh-huh. or Boston Public, where it's like the, you know, the teacher or the lawyer, or in this case, the psychologist uh-huh. uh, who is maybe maybe problematic maybe up to some stuff maybe uh-huh. in in some trouble yeah. um and look i get it i mean it's 
it is very like from a plot standpoint interesting to have a character as we're talking about you know a psychologist who's you know uh has a very um like high degree of uh control but also Mm -hmm. um ability to empathize and kind of do all this uh, emotional intelligence work Mm-hmm. For them to maybe be cracking is a very like compelling yeah. sort of plot device, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and you know and and other things that we've covered on the podcast where uh, when therapists are represented as oh sleeping with their patients or oh mm-hmm. um, you know doing other unethical things and it's and I I wish there were more examples of therapists just like being great therapists and not <laughs> yeah. doing anything wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> I agree. But I guess to your point, maybe this is how you saw Grace and that's and it's pretty close to that. Yeah, sometimes I really liked her as a therapist and sometimes I was like, no way. But then I also had to check in with myself because um, the parts that I liked about her were the parts that were similar to me. And then the parts that I didn't like about her were the parts that were different for me. So the, the not being afraid to challenge her patients, I loved that. The... Mm -hmm. Being a psychologist when she's dropping her son off for school, I was like, absolutely not. Um, like in, so she drops her kid off at school um, the night, the morning when there's the news crew and the police and everything at the school yes. because the murder has happened. And this woman comes up to her and is like, oh, you're a psychologist. I want to talk to you. Like, what are some things that I can do? This is my first school murder, which was such a funny line. Um, and then her son goes, okay, well, I'm going to go in. And she goes, okay, bye. See you later. And I was like, no, 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 (laughs) no. Like Mm -hmm. in that moment, you're a mom, you are not a psychologist. Um, and that really frustrated me. And that fell into that. She was on all the time thing, um, that I did not like, but as someone doing psychological work in therapy, I did not hate her. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and and you know i guess the other things that i was sort of very concerned about was she made some odd choices at times um she uh-huh. talks to the for someone who talks to the police so much and for someone who is presumably well off enough to have an attorney in these conversations mm-hmm. she never once well not she she eventually does but um she has a lot of unsupervised conversations with the police and i guess seeing that again it felt like a poor judgment super poor judgment i was like everybody knows that you get an attorney immediately even if you're not like if you are potentially like if, you, if you're not un- right exactly yeah yep one thing that i thought yeah. was really cool that goes along with talking to police is the um detective kind of kept on saying to her like you're a psychologist like you are observant. Um, you watch people's behavior and figure stuff out. And then she says something like that about like, I know he's hiding something. I get it from 20 plus years of psychological training. And the detective is like, what you read his mind. And what I think is so funny about that back and forth between them is they're both doing the same thing. They're both observing right, other the people's assumptions yeah. and trying to come up with like a story or a solution and then saying that the of other course. person is not good at it. It was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you guys yeah, both so kind of have the same job. 
Yeah, and look, and that is what I think David E. Kelly is really good at, which is this sort of dialogue and, and the sort mm -hmm. of drama of some of these confrontations and interactions. It, it is very well written. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think we're going to transition into the sort of other main character in the story, which yeah. is Jonathan. So mm -hmm. Jonathan played by Hugh Grant, an uncharacteristic um, portrayal by Hugh Grant. We don't often get to see him quite like this. No. And maybe that's uh, well, that being why said, we the, found him the first so episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, well, and he, he said in some interviews that he was really excited to essentially play the bad guy mm -hmm. um, because he doesn't get to do that so often. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, the first episode, he seems like just stereotypical Hugh Grant, yeah. just like kind of mm -hmm. goofy, kind of awkward, um, dad jokes and, yeah. you know, playing with the kid and doing all these kinds of things. And obviously that um, facade is revealed um, to be not the case uh, very quickly. Yeah. Well, not very quickly because we're well, constantly not sure if it's someone else. <laughs> it's true. Um, at the same time, you know, the fact that they, you know, as soon as he's um, captured, you know, and they put him in jail and, and you know, Grace is then visiting him in jail, you already you start to see the lies come out, right? So we mm -hmm. talked about the, he has actually been unemployed for several months. Oh, um, mm -hmm. You know, he had asked uh, her father for a bunch of money that she was unaware of. Mm -hmm. And as these lies are piling up, we're saying, okay, um, there are obviously some problems here. How deep do the problems go? Mm -hmm. And the conversation around Jonathan um, in this uh, series is sort of what's his deal? And it's like the classic, what is his diagnosis? What, what's wrong with him? Why is he able to do this? And, and I think we can have that conversation, but I think it's also just kind of interesting to think about um, the, the relationship kind of first, right? Because we do see um, some bits and pieces of what Grace and Jonathan are like together sort of before um, we're we're seeing the sort of reveal of Jonathan's lies and, and mm -hmm. dishonesty. And I think for me, it was interesting to see them interact together because again, on the surface, everything seems fine. And I, and I don't know if you've worked with couples, but you know, this often is the case where you're able to kind of go through the motions of day-to-day -day mm -hmm. interactions and the reality of how bad things are is a very different story. Yeah. Well, and especially if one person is trying to pull the wool over the other person's eyes. Um, yes. That makes it that much e like easier to do, right? If, if someone trusts you and you make the last few months, I think the quote she ends up saying is like, this is the best it's been in years or something like that. Um, she's got no reason to question it um right yeah and then it's like okay so what is that right mm -hmm. um you know i saw if you if you start googling um uh the undoing it's like uh the undoing is jonathan a psychopath is yeah. jonathan a sociopath is jonathan a narcissist is jonathan have antisocial personality disorder so I, I was wondering yeah. if we could break that down a little bit. We don't have to go into crazy detail, but just yeah. so people know kind of what those things are and why some of those things might be associated with uh, Jonathan's character. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and also in the show, the like fellow doctor calls him a psychopath and says Actually like, refers a, to him that way. Yeah. Yes. Like a psychopath can't work in a hospital. And she's like, he's not a psychopath. Um, so, um, so psychopath and sociopath are like used really interchangeably. And that's because they have like so much in common. Um, they both fall under um, antisocial personality disorder in the diagnostic manual. Um, mm-hmm. And they both are kind of like lacking empathy, um, a complete disregard for social rules, um, a failure to feel remorse or guilt. Both come with some level of violent behavior. Um, the differences are... Um, uh, psychopathy is more kind of shown to be like, uh, biological, um, like twin studies are showing that there's like 60%, um, heritable, um, psychopathological traits. Whereas, um, sociopathy is more kind of a question about like upbringing and, um, Mm -hmm. like rearing, which leads you with him, it kind of goes both ways, right? Like his mom is kind of like, yes. he was always this yes. way. Like we kept on waiting for, for something to happen, which is kind of like this born that way kind of ideology. But then she sucks. Like, like yeah, in time. the like conversation with Grace, she like corrects her grammar and it's like, not the time lady. Um, so then yep. that made me kind of be like, well, this doesn't clearly tell us one way or the other in terms of you know, nature and nurture. Um, some things that like, um, happen kind of differently between their behavior is, um, sociopathy tends to be more erratic, more about rage and anger, more impulsive, more spontaneous. Um, and they can form attachments to some people, whereas Mm -hmm. psychopathy is more controlled, more manipulative and pretty like pretty much unable to form personal attachment at all um and they the psychopathy takes more like calculated risks whereas um so sociopathy tends to be kind of more spontaneous um violence basically um Mm -hmm. so kind of those differences lead us kind of to him being more of a sociopath than a psychopath because he didn't, I don't think he planned to kill her. I think she basically sort of like the pissed classic him off. And passion he, kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. Um, because of the, we'll discuss this narcissism. Like, I think he was kind of like, Hey, right. you're stepping on my territory and therefore I'm going to kind of be violent and ultimate and then not going to care if I kill you. Um, well, right. But, she she threatened uh, his livelihood, more or less, right? His being yeah. able to continue doing what he was doing. And his yeah. facade. And and I mm-hmm. think he has a relationship with his son. Like, I think he cares about his son um, because he says goodbye to him. Even before if it's in, like, leaves. a narcissistic way, right? Yeah. I, like, I don't really know. Like, in the yeah, end, with the last tell. scene in the car, there it's clearly all about Hugh Grant's character and not about the son, but there's yes. other moments where it like feels like he's truly connecting to the son, but who knows that could just be like learned interaction between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. But then like, one thing that I'm supposed to act with my son. Yeah. Yeah. And, or also like the son and the mom are like quite nice and easy to get along with. So 
Like it works in my benefit to get along with them. Like I, why would I do otherwise? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that kind of leads him more towards the psychopath side than the sociopath side is people with sociopathy tend to be um, less educated, um, struggle to keep a steady job, whereas psychopaths tend to be highly educated and have like good careers, um, which you don't get to be an oncologist um, without being able to like buckle down and get through med school. Um, so that's like, that puts him more kind of in the psychopathy than sociopathy side of things. Um, but again, this is like fictions and we mix the two words together, um, in, in the way we talk about them. So it makes sense that that would happen in the show as well. Yeah. And And in sort of culturally in general, you know, you'll hear um, these words kind of used as insults or like uh, replacements for crazy. It's just like, oh, psychopath, mm-hmm. oh, sociopath. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think it's important to to kind of specify what we're talking about and and to illustrate it a little bit. So I appreciate you kind of walking through that because yeah. we could disagree potentially. Right. Because there mm-hmm. are aspects of each that uh, Jonathan uh, displays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in, in your notes, because I think this is sort of the interesting piece of it for me. We mm-hmm. come to learn um, from Jonathan, but also Jonathan's mother, that potentially one of the reasons, at least the show is alluding to why he is the way he is, is because of essentially some childhood trauma. Yeah, maybe. Right. So maybe. Right. Um, whether he was sort of already on this path and this just sort of confirmed it or whether mm-hmm. this event um you know and his inability to cope with it um you know sort of just i guess uh confirmed the path yeah. i don't know it's it's, yeah. it's hard to Chicken say so yeah. we find out and and grace finds out um that jonathan um is basically implicated in his sister's death when they were very young yeah. mm-hmm. when she was young Right. When his when she was young. Yes. And then after that, Jonathan was sort of ostracized from the family. um, And the mom makes references to the fact that he had kind of no empathy about Mm it um, or no sort of remorse about it. And then this gets sort of used in the the court case as well as him being a person who was capable of doing this because this is the kind of person he is. Yeah. And that's where that nature nurture question comes in because it was like, was he pushed from the family or did he just not care to even engage with his family as well? Right. Right. It wasn't clear. And I guess the that's true. And so we could we could potentially say either. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly he uh, I guess, would you say he fits within, um, you know, the antisocial personality disorder? Yeah, I think so. Is that is that for sort of fair um, to say? Um, I and think then he the sort could. of specific. Yeah, I think he could. I think we would need more, more criteria information from him. Yeah, um, because sure. it's all kind of like secondhand. Um, but right. also that plays a We're role. Observing right? like, as opposed to evaluating. Yeah. Yeah, because how you know also like how reliable is he as a reporter anyway? Um, however, sure. then he in his unreliable ways he would be able to give us more information if we were seeing him directly um 
She also in the court case calls at what well, one point they say like, oh, do you think he's a narcissist? And she's like, no, I wouldn't say that. And they're like, but you said that once, um, which sends us to like another question of kind of like, well, what mm-hmm. about narcissistic personality disorder? Um, sure. And one thing that I kind of jumping back to our previous conversation about like being a therapist outside of the therapy world, um, so many words like, oh, he's so narcissistic and oh, he's such a psychopath and things like that are so natural, such natural words. Um, that bipolar, borderline, all these things get thrown around. Yeah, absolutely. Even like trauma and, and right. Mm -hmm. Everything, um, that we, as therapists, I think need to be kind of careful how we use those terms because yeah, it could kind of be seen as like, you should have known, right? Like if, if we say, oh gosh, he's so narcissistic. And then they're like, oh, well, this person with this knowledge has now called him that. Does that mean that he's that? And then that can lead to like right. libel, <laughs> um, slander, I suppose. Um, but which is kind of a weird thing. And then also we also need to be careful not to add to using that language in an unhelpful way. Yeah. Um, so I'll jump into yeah, that. That's, that's yeah. We're trying to find that balance, right? As yeah. we kind of help illustrate what we're seeing while also not tr- trying not to um, sort of like uh, uh, take the the power out of these words and out of these descriptions yeah. because we don't want to start, you know, we don't want to create um tropes of our own um you know i think we want to acknowledge that really what diagnosing is is just sort of describing a set of symptoms or describing a set of observations yeah absolutely and what's so funny about it is so many of these words actually start as um community words and then become professional Mm -hmm. words like narcissistic comes from narcissus which is a greek um myth you know, so I think that word came before narcissistic personality disorder. Um, so um, to kind of jump back into the story, do I think that he has narcissistic traits? Absolutely. Like zero question about that. Um, we can go back and listen to the Tangled episode to like all the thoughts yeah. about <laughs> narcissism. But like he always refers to Elena as the nudist, which is so undermining, especially right. when he knows he's sleeping yes. with her. Um, yes. And he kind of like does these like little like jokes um, that like we talked about on the Tangled episode are just kind of undermining. Um, mm-hmm. um, but one thing that is kind of distinguishes some of the antisocial personalities from like narcissistic personalities is the antisocial ones tend to have more of a history of criminality or conduct disorder as a child. Um, And narcissistic personality tends to be less associated with aggression, impulsiveness, deceit. Um, And those three things tend to more be the antisocial traits. Um, So because there's a lot of deceit, there's clearly aggression, um, and there was that extreme impulsiveness with him, I think that leads him more to that antisocial side than the narcissistic side, even though he very clearly has narcissistic traits. 
Yeah, and it, it's and I guess when we found out his his childhood trauma, Jonathan's childhood trauma, I I because I I don't like the trope of this terrible thing happened when this person was a child, and not that it explains who they became, but it's like almost like a plot device of like, oh, well, now that we know that this happened mm -hmm. and he wasn't uh, able to show any sympathy or empathy, um, this is what makes him evil. This is what mm -hmm. makes him a psychopath. Um, and it's just the sort of tragic villain trope that I wish we didn't, we didn't have to deal with so frequently. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you and know, what, yeah. everyone that does something bad doesn't have to have had something bad happen to them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. also, just because you have a diagnosis um, in the antisocial or narcissistic personality realm does not mean you're necessarily a murderer, <laughs> right? Of course. Um, and there are, pe there are plenty of people who live fairly standard typical lives with these diagnoses um, that are able to find their way through the world in a different way. So, you know, maybe they don't really have relationships because they struggle empathizing with others. Um, but just because someone lacks empathy doesn't mean they're going to like get extreme joy out of murdering someone. <laughs> right. And that's a great point. And I think, um, and I think that's something that's being challenged, um, as well. Um, oh man, there was, a, there was an athlete that came out recently. He was a wide receiver, Brandon Marshall, who, um, was very open about his diagnosis with, I want to say borderline personality disorder and just sort of trying to, to help educate people that, you know, just because people have, let's say, a personality disorder, for example, uh -huh. doesn't mean that they are uh, monsters, doesn't mean that they are, you know, going to automatically be violent or unsympathetic or unempathetic. Uh -huh. um, it just means that that sort of describes something that they're dealing with or struggling with that they can also get help for. And I think all, all these things kind of fall into this category of like, um, we have some really negative associations or perceptions mm -hmm. of what it means to be struggling with this. Mm -hmm. When in many cases, people can, you know, fit this description and uh, live more or less, uh, I hate the word normal, but like they can live uh, yeah. lives just like anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one thing that like kind of bums me out about the... Um, kind of true crime, murderino yes. kind of tradition that's happening right now is there is this talk of if these five things happen in your childhood, you're going to be a serial killer. Um, and that's just simply not the case. It's it those things like a head injury in childhood can play a role in how a, a child develops, but so can your parenting, if you get mm -hmm. help, how you like work through it, medication. Um, but there's almost this sense of we want to figure out why. And I think you and I spoke about this in a previous episode of how getting stuck on that why stops us seeing the whole picture. And yes, I feel like, you know, we get stuck on like, oh, why do these people do this? 
Um, and then we forget that like, it's not causation. It's probably more right. correlation. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up because, and, and look, there are so many fascinating characters in this story and we could kind of dive into it. But one of the reasons I, I also wanted to talk about this series is because I am fascinated by other people's fascination with uh -huh. like the sort of whodunit true crime uh -huh. stuff because it's not necessarily my cup of tea. It's I don't, I don't listen <laughs> to any of the super popular, uh, mm -hmm. you know, true crime podcasts. I don't, I tend not to watch like most true crime shows or movies. Mm -hmm. There are certainly are that I've seen and um, ones that I like, but for the most part, it's not the kind of um, entertainment that I seek out. Mm -hmm. But I know that it's popular, and I think I'm curious what it says about us, what it uh -huh. says about people um, that this type of show or this type of media is so popular. Yeah, absolutely. So I I am also one of those people that loves it and is fascinated by it, and um, okay. I, I think so I've been curious about it a lot. And, um, so I was kind of like looking it up, like, why do we love this? And a lot of it has to do with the being unable to look away from a car crash. Um, mm. and it, that kind of like, um, fascination with like kind of relief that it's not me, but then also wanting to understand so biologically, our brain is set up to try to figure out the things that can hurt us so that we can avoid them. And sure. I think that there's this like fascination of like, oh, I'm glad it's not me. Um, but then also the like, but if it was me, both on the side of if I were a victim and also if I were a perpetrator. Um, and I think that kind of like natural fascination with what is evil or like what makes people do what they do. I think that's a lot of what leads to this um, fascination with true crime. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's the difference for me is that I'm actually not the like cranes the neck to look at the car accident person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, how quickly can I get out of this situation? Yeah, I actually agree with that. too. Um, <laughs> I don't want to see it in real okay. life. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's and, and I think and maybe this is the therapist is that it, I in me, it's like I I know whatever's happening over there is trauma mm -hmm. and it's not going to be good. And mm -hmm. I know where where things are headed for people. Not I know, but like I make assumptions about where things uh -huh. are headed for people. Yeah. Um, and I think it, and it makes me sad more often than not. So. You know, so this is not true crime. This is uh, kind of pulpy, False fictionalized crime. crime. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 that's why I get I get the draw because it's it is a whodunit, it is a mystery, and I think we do we are drawn to mysteries, especially if we know that the mystery is going to be solved. Like mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you know, I think about other shows that I have gotten into, like Lost, for example. I was hugely into Lost, mm -hmm. and this is and it was that thing of like what what is happening here? Mm -hmm. I have to know, I have to understand the mystery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to a certain extent, there's, there's smaller mysteries in shows like this where it's like, who, who did this terrible thing? Is it the husband who was, it's 
being strongly implicated that it was him. But I'm worried that it's the therapist and people wanted me to see this. And is it, is it the therapist? That's why they wanted me to see it. And Uh it's just, um, (laughs) yeah, I really get, I get wrapped up in my own psychology of why people, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Why did, why does someone else want me to see this? (laughs) So funny. I was thinking as you were talking, um, cause I also don't want to see the car crash. Um, so I was like, what, where do I differ in this? And Hmm. I differ in the, like you said, you spoke to like, it's a mystery, right? That's where I differ. Like the true crime that fascinates me the most is like D.B. Cooper. Like that is my all time favorite, like true crime story, because I'm like, this man escaped with money and then was never found again. And barely any of the money was found. And what happened? (laughs) that and like the guys that escaped from Alcatraz like that's the kind of stuff that like really intrigues me but then that does have so much overlap with the kind of gory stuff like the um the Jean Benet right because that also oh, is yeah. like a continual like who done it very similar actually to this show um mm-hmm. where it yep. kind of looks like it's everyone um right and at one point during the undoing, I thought for sure it was the son. I thought for sure it was him. Oh man, and, we, we've barely talked about the Henry, yeah, and yeah. obviously he is implicated. Um, they, we almost took a turn to like the Omen, where it's like, yeah. oh no, is it is it the creepy kid who's kind well, of was, not helping, yeah. but. He was so obsessed yeah. with it the whole time. And he also yep. always did exactly the right thing as well, just like his mom. And so then when we found mm-hmm. that weapon in his case, I was like, oh, my God, I oh, knew man. it was him. But then when Hugh Grant's character <laughs> was like, oh, my God, maybe it's him. I was like, damn it, it's not him. I have so badly wanted of it course. to be him. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so many fascinating characters, and, and we we didn't even really get into Elena. I mean, you know, yeah. But the one thing I did want to say about her, because this is another trope that sort of uh, fascinates me, which is I don't. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with the trope of the manic pixie dream girl? Yes. Okay. I love Garden. So State. this is not quite that, uh-huh. um, but it's kind very much so. like this. Right, exactly. This this sort of eccentric. Uh, mm-hmm. fish out of water um uh woman I, and and i think even i was reading interviews someone describes her character as a tortured soul um yeah and and she has her own issues obviously yeah. um but it felt like oh so this is like manic pixie dream girl but then she's murdered by the man that kind of fell in love with her and like mm-hmm. that's the story that we're dealing with and i'm like well I guess that's a twist on that story, but it it made me sad that we didn't get maybe more of the character of who Elena is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just kind of felt like I, I wanted to know more about her because there was, you know, anytime you're dealing with this sort of family trauma, right, where you have uh, cheating or where you have relationships ending, you know, sometimes you only see one aspect of a person. I and mean, we really mm-hmm. only saw one aspect of Elena, this sort of, you know, uh, obviously uh, uh, very eccentric. She's she's a talented artist. She's maybe a little obsessive in her own mm-hmm. ways. Um, a little manipulative. 
Yeah, but at the same time, like obviously was working really hard for for her son um to be able to go to this school and do all these things and it was just it just kind of felt like and there's just some of the criticism of the show that sort of glorified this act of domestic violence that really mm-hmm. only saw her as the victim and and yeah. and look I mean you know there's going to be a victim in these these types of stories but um but it was I I guess how they portrayed her was kind of really hard for me so yeah. It's, and it's a multi-layered series. Yeah. <laughs> what I think is interesting is you kind of said, oh, it's a twist on the manic pixie dream girl trope. And I almost feel like it's, it is the trope, except it's murder. It's pretty much <laughs> but, the thing. Yeah. 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 Because with um, the murder. <laughs> in all the like manic pixie dream girls, you don't really get to know them much. And then the, that's true. They're that's never true treated that well like the guy kind of falls in love with the idea of them rather than with them um right and then the guy experiences consequences yeah Yeah. learns a lesson or whatever Yeah. yeah 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 which is essentially what happened here except instead of him learning a lesson or maybe heading in a better path he murders her (laughs) right one thing that's really funny and it's a total left turn but i was like scrolling through my notes and I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I should have known that it was Jonathan because there's only one of my notes that is in all capitals. And it says, WTF, Jonathan, leave them alone, you narcissistic prick. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should yeah. have known much sooner that it was him. Um, <laughs> but I remember that's when he goes over to um, the house of the boy and the dad to kind of be like, I didn't do it. And I was like, leave them alone. What are you doing? Mm. This is not about you. But of course, he does think it's about him. <laughs> yeah, well, you just said it. You should have known. And I think that's yeah. what we're really talking oh, yeah. about here with the sort of true crime is that uh-huh. we want to feel like we can predict the outcome of these sorts of events, that we can see, you know, we can catch the thing that the characters hasn't caught. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know I watched it with my wife and uh, my wife is very talented at, at, you know, being able to say like, you know, a couple episodes in, let me tell you how yeah. this is going to end. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I am not, I am not good at that. I get very much wrapped up in the sort of twists and emotional relationships and, you know, and my own assumptions about the characters. Uh-huh. And, but at the same time, I do enjoy the, you know, uh, who, who did it? I want to know. I want to, you know, and I think people criticize the sort of unsatisfying ending um, of the series because it Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what's the, what's Mm -hmm. the, is it Occam's razor where it's just like the sort of most obvious ending is the, is the reality, right? Yeah. Or the most obvious explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was disappointed with it, but then also I was like, I'm always disappointed when there's a twist too. So, (laughs) because you always want it to be Right, so it's hard to satisfy everyone. Yeah, Yeah. so then looking back on it, on a scale of one to five violin cases, how entertaining did you think it was? Well, for pure entertainment, I thought it was pretty good. I mean... There were weird things about it and and even like my nitpicking of Grace's therapy style and um, things like that. It was very entertaining. I We didn't quite binge it, watch it all in a row because six episodes was it like mm-hmm. about an hour each. 
Um, yeah. But we watched it pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a pretty good indication of how entertaining it was. Yeah. So I, I would say, uh, I will say an easy four, not yeah. a whole five, but a four out of five violin cases. I agree. I don't think it gets a five, but it was very entertaining. Okay. So then for you, um, you know, out of five, uh, it wasn't the Hamptons. Where was their like fancy house on the water? Um, out of five fancy vacation houses, how, uh, accurately, um, did you feel the portrayal of the sort of mental health aspects of the show was, and that can include the therapy that can include the sort of, um, you know, trauma aspects of, uh, the different character experiences. I think, um, the portrayal of, um, Jonathan, I give it a three and a half. Um, it just wasn't, there were just a little couple holes for me, like moments where I don't think he should have been able to form relationships in the way that he did. And then later that relationship was kind of undermined in a way that, I don't know, it just didn't sit pretty with me. Um, Oh, there were some plot holes. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then with um, portrayal of a therapist, um, I give it a four and a half for a therapist who doesn't know how to switch it off. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and look, and that's obviously that that is a real thing. Like uh-huh. that that is something that therapists struggle with. So mm-hmm. how um, about you? So that is a useful portrayal. Um yeah, I mean, so just because I disagree with the style doesn't mean it's yeah. not unrealistic. <laughs> um so I think from that perspective, um, it's probably not that far off of like a high end New York City therapist mm-hmm. uh dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, from that end, uh, Grace's portrayal is probably pretty good, you know, for 4.5 for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like kind of the moments where she's really human. Like there's one moment where yeah. I, the like morning that we find out about the murder, she's like barefoot and she's at home. She's with her kid. And she's like, just hurry up, get your books. I have an early session. I'm already running late. And I just burst out laughing because that is absolutely the morning of a therapist. Just like very relatable. Yeah. And then you like are at the session and you're like, how was your week? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Where well, you just have to flip it on. So yeah. True. And I think <laughs> I, I don't bring the blah into session, but sometimes I'll be like, boy, what a morning. How was yours? <laughs> um, <laughs> but seeing they, I think they really nicely put like human moments in there, which I enjoyed. Yeah. So a, a complex uh, series and yeah. um, I think it's reflected in our ratings. So Haley, yeah. what do we have uh, coming up on the show in the upcoming weeks? Absolutely. So next we are going to do the movie Memento, which I have never seen and is one of your all-time favorites. Oh, you're in for a treat. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then after that, you picked Marriage Story for us. I did. Another, um, did that come out in the early part of the pandemic? It feels like everything did, but... Yeah, basically, these are all the things I've been wanting to talk about for the past year that I'm really excited to get into. Excellent. Well, I'm here for it. So yeah, so um, 
if you're following along with us, go and watch Memento. It's available um, with Amazon Prime. And then Marriage Story is on Netflix. Yeah, so look out for those episodes coming up. And uh, please like and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. And as always, thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101. Thank you, Haley. We'll be talking again next week. Okay, bye. Bye.